0: Greeny, with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Yes, it is, Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance. Dan Deardorff, live and a half hour on the Goodyear Hotline with Chris Collinsworth earlier today. And before I bring Buster in, thank you to someone who called in to remind us of this, and I hadn't put this together in my head. So a half hour ago, I've got Chris Collinsworth on the show, and I asked him to tell us a story about a legendary game that he played in, January 10th, 1982 known as the freezer game, the game where his Bengals, he was a rookie on that team, beat Dan Fouts and and the Chargers on a day that it was negative 59 degrees. And it, I just hadn't put it together in my head that that's the same day. Brandon, do you know what I'm about to say? I'm looking over at Brandon. He's got to look at it. The same day, January 10th, 1982, is the catch. Dwight Clark and the catch. And, of course, it makes sense because those teams played each other in the Super Bowl. Montana and Clark and that that was the first of the Bill Walsh Super Bowl teams against Cincinnati and Ken Anderson and Collinsworth and those guys two weeks later. So so but that I hadn't put it together, but that same day, you know, we could do a list at some point of the most iconic days, like in the history of individual sports for for multiple reasons. I mean, are there two more is there a day that we had two more iconic games than that on the same day, the freezer game in Cincinnati negative 59 at Riverfront. And on the same day, the catch in San Francisco, outstanding. All right, Greeny, with you here on ESPN Radio. I'm
2: ready to go right now.
0: Green light. light with Greeny.
2: Give me the green
1: light. All right, I'm giving Robert Stanberry only the third the green light today. We'll talk baseball with our buddy Buster. And and Buster, I, I I am put off, and I have a suspicion that you are as well. They're playing this Field of Dreams game today in a farm. You are from a dairy farm in Vermont. How are you not doing this game?
3: Greeny, I'm completely bitter. Uh, I'm quite angry. Uh, I mean, think about the potential for me to educate uh, baseball fans around the world about baseball on a farm. And look, Ken Rosenthal today, he's not going to tell the the viewers anything about John Deere tractors. You know, he's not going to be able to roll up and do a sideline report interviewing Aaron Judge on a John Deere tractor. What does Tom Verducci know about shoveling the manure of 40 cows twice a day? Nothing. You know, I can speak to the bankruptcy law uh, when it comes to farm. We lived that growing up on the farm in Vermont, and we're threatened by that. You know, major theme in the movie. There was so much that I could have added, and I'm not a part of it. Look, years ago, you had a cow milking contest, and Mm -hmm. you were brilliant enough to understand that I needed to be part of that broadcast because of my extensive history on a farm.
1: That's correct. I mean, I've always said, I'm not 100% sure how much baseball you know, but you know a lot about dairy farms. I've said that of you from as, as long as I've known you. Um, all of that said, how ridiculously cool is this thing tonight? I, I was watching on Instagram during a break. They have a video of Kevin Costner walking, you know, like they, they brought him there, obviously, for all of this, and he walks out onto the field. And how... Like I don't know, this is the kind of thing that some people might find it hokey. I am all in. I actually, I actually had to compose myself, having watched that video of Kevin Costner walking out on the field. I love that they're doing this tonight.
3: I love it too. Uh, you know, I first heard about this idea from a Major League Baseball official uh, when during that game in London, and it was like, wow, that is going to be the coolest thing. You know, on a scale of one to ten, I'd put it at a nine point nine. The only thing that I wish that they would do is to not have the outfield fences, right? Just to have the the actual corn be the boundary. Mm -hmm. You hit it into the corn on the fly, it's a home run. You hit it on the ground, it's a double. That's not the the case. You can understand the the argument, potentially a playoff spot determined by whether or not the ball bounded into the corn. That would have been really cool.
1: Yes, and and, and you may have seen it. I'm sure you did. Um, but they played a little league game like that last night and someone actually did hit a grand slam into the corn that on the little league field they have like a little league field set up there as well and that one they actually did hit a grand slam into the corn the night before they play this game Greeny and buster brought to you by samsung galaxy shop the impressive samsung galaxy z fold three five g and z flip three five g at samsung.com all right two things i really want to get to with you today buster the first of them Hembo brought this up with us, and he told me that it sort of stemmed from a piece that he was helping you work on, and that is about the pending contract of Shohei Ohtani, who has separated himself from the pack. He's the biggest star in the sport, and he is a unicorn. He's doing stuff that we have not, even Babe Ruth never did. And what's he going to be worth when his contract comes up? And how much money is that team going to have locked up in three players, Ohtani, Anthony Rendon, and Mike Trout? and Trout, who right now is injured, Hembo brought up the unthinkable possibility that the Angels will have to at least consider trading Mike Trout. Buster, your thoughts.
3: Oh, boy. I I just can't imagine that they would do that. Uh, Because Trout is going to finish his career generally viewed as the greatest player of all time. He's locked up through 2029. You can't imagine, but Greeny, they're going to have to make some difficult choices along the way because, to, you know, to, to illuminate, you know, the situations coming up, uh, Otani is eligible for arbitration after next year. Then he's a free agent. I talked with a Major League Baseball evaluator uh, with another team and asked him, okay, when Otani's a free agent at age 29, what is he going to get? And the answer was, what, $50 million a year, which would be the highest contract ever uh, for, you know, a player who's demonstrated that he's doing unprecedented things. They owe uh, Trout $37 million a year. They owe Rendon $38 million a year for the next six years. That's $125 million potentially in three players. That's unworkable when you're trying to uh, build a team, build the pitching staff, build the depth. If your payroll is around $180 million, which has been at the high end of where the Angels are. So I actually had an evaluator with another team say to me yesterday, look, Rendon is not going to waive his no trade. Trout, you could never trade him, uh, and this executive said they may actually have to go and take Otani out and just ask the question: What could we get for him in trade? I I don't see that happening. I see them paying the three stars and trying to figure out how to build a pitching staff that was $55 million. But it is a potential disaster looming for them in trying to figure this out. I'm
1: with you. And so because you were doing this work, again, I should point out, it was, this is Buster's piece, but you always, as everyone who is smart does, you lean on Hembo for some assistance, and he was the one who was going through some of this with us. Here's the point. Trout might retire. He's, he's Mickey Mantle, right? He's, no one is disputing how great he is. But for all of his greatness, they have never won a playoff game with him. He just turned 30 years old we are now back in a world where we're having normal career arcs in baseball, which means he probably has, you know, four or five more seasons left as, as the best player in baseball. You've been doing plenty of losing with him. You could trade him and you could replenish everything in your organization and try and build around a guy like Otani, who is not only a great player and a unique player, but seems a little more willing to sort of be the face of the sport in a way that a guy like Trout has always been somewhat hesitant to be. I don't know. You think they wouldn't consider it at all?
3: Uh, I wonder too. Another factor will be: let's say the Angels have another three or four years of not making the postseason. Uh, Mike Trout, you know, d- behind that that smile and that uh, you know polite nature that he has, he's unbelievably competitive. And I, I have wondered, you know, in three or four years, would he be the one to go to the Angels and say, "Look, I, I want to go someplace where I get, get a chance to play in the postseason. I want to do that." I think you have to consider all things, all possibilities for the Angels in trying to deal with the situation. But for the moment, they are planning to try to build pitching staffs on the cheap. uh, Last month, Greeny, with Major League Baseball's draft, they had 20 picks. Every single player they took was a pitcher Mm -hmm. because they understand they're going to have to build a pipeline of cheap, effective pitching on the fly to, to fill in the gaps around where they, what they're going to have with these uh, three players making a ton of money.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. Listen, I hear what you're saying, and, and we will see where they wind up going. The Otani thing, it's a wonderful problem to have, but it does shape up to be a problem nonetheless. One more thing for you quickly here. I was fascinated by your tweet the other day about the Orioles. For those who didn't see it, and if you're not following Buster Olney on Twitter, then you're not really a baseball fan, but for those who didn't see it, um, can you share your thoughts on, on where the, 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 the just how brutally bad the Orioles are and have been and what you think it means?
3: Yeah, so uh, right now they're on a trajectory to win 56 games and lose 106. If that's where they wind up, they'll be the first team in American League history to lose at least 106 games in three consecutive full seasons. They lost 115 in 2018, 108 in 2019, I personally think what they're doing now is tanking, but even if they're not tanking, what they're doing is uh, putting together terrible rosters in an unprecedented way. Either way, it's a disaster. I'm worried about the long-term health of this franchise. You know, given how many years they're going to be irrelevant in the American League.
1: Yeah, I, I hear you, and I get it. Now, the opposing argument to that would be both the Astros and the Cubs proved that tearing it down to the studs and then building it up can result in championships. Is that not a reasonable comparison?
3: It is, and under the current rules, where they don't really have any tanking measures, look, it's a strategy that's worked for other teams. It's also a strategy, and Hembo can speak to this firsthand, that has not worked for a lot of teams that have mm-hmm. tried to tank most notably, his Phillies, uh, who finished uh, at the bottom of the standings year after year after year, drafted near the top, and they didn't really glean the benefit of that. And, and I personally think it's offensive when you have a team that designs failure while you're charging your customers full price on tickets.
1: Oh, I completely agree. He is Robert Stanbury, only the third, our buddy Buster. Thank you, my friend. See you soon. Thanks, Granny. That's uh, Buster with me here. Coming up next, uh, again, we have Dan Deerdorf later in this hour, but up next. Who is the actual heir to the king's most valuable throne? I will answer that question after this word from ZipRecruiter. Airlines, restaurants, and more have been ramping up their hiring. Who do they turn to? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's technology finds qualified candidates for your job, and you can easily invite your top choices to apply. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. Back in a flash on ESPN Radio brainstorm what is something that works so well that it's basically magic air conditioning noise canceling headphones meeting free fridays what about selling with shopify Grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash greenie or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greenie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash
4: greenie. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happen in the past, it can start to affect us Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/Greeny. G-R-E-E-N-Y. Greeney, the
0: podcast.
1: We are rolling on Greeney on ESPN Radio, presented by progressive insurance guests like Dan Deardorff in about 15 minutes. On the Goodyear hotline, looking forward to that. Also inviting you to download the Overheard podcast for curiously delightful conversations overheard around National Geographic's headquarters as presented by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card, the card built for your next adventure. You ask these questions. Greeny's question of the day. All right, Nuno, here's today's question of the day. It was asked to me on television, and now I'm asking it to you. Who is the next face of the NBA? I'll give you the context in which this came up. So Luca signs this huge contract. He's 22 years old. He signs this monster rookie extension. And people start talking about whether or not he is the next face of the NBA. To be clear, there's a lineage to this. It was Magic and Larry. And obviously, Jerry West is the logo of the league. But in the modern era of the NBA, The face of the league was two people. It was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird together. They passed the baton to Michael Jordan. He passed the baton to Kobe Bryant. He passed the baton to LeBron James. Now, the time is coming where LeBron will pass that baton. I don't know quite how soon. He remains the face of the sport right now. But the obvious other candidates are all older, Kevin Durant is an older player. Steph Curry is an older player. Kawhi Leonard is a little less old, but also not available enough. He can't become the face of the league. Those guys, I think, are not next. The question is, who's next? Who's next in that line? Someone who's not yet 30 years old who could become the next face of the league. That's the question of the day. Nuno, what's the answer?
2: The... The first, though, would be Luca, but I do think that there are other factors that come to play in there, right? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say someone like uh, Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. That's an interesting choice. Let's talk about the other factors. One of them is
1: personality. Mm-hmm. You got to be likable. And at the end of the day, you has got to be someone who plays with joy. Fans are not going to gravitate to people who are grumbly and cranky and seem as though I get paid a lot of money to do this, so I'm here. But boy, it's the last thing on earth I feel like doing. There's altogether too much of that in the sport. The players that we just talked about played the game with love and passion. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. The next piece of it is winning. The other thing those guys all have in common is they're all champions. I think you have to be that. I don't think you can be the face of the league without being a champion. Magic won all those rings. Larry won three. Michael won six. Kobe won five. LeBron's got four. I think that's a prerequisite here. So Luka, as brilliant as he is, and I love his game, and I love watching him play, but they haven't done the winning. They haven't won a playoff series yet. Now, we'll see if he gets there. Jason Tatum is an interesting choice. Some of the other names that jumped to mind, Nuno. I'm just going to bounce some names off of you. Tell me what you think. How about Trey Young? He had an it quality about him in the playoffs last year that I, for one, really enjoyed watching. Now, he has a little bit too much of the villain in him, perhaps. I think the, the face of the league kind of has to be universally beloved, although maybe that's overstated. I don't know that LeBron is universally
2: beloved. Well, how about Trey Young as a candidate for this conversation? I don't think he can pull it off, right? Like because Steph as, and I equate him to Steph, right? Like because of their similar styles and in, in the way they play. Like Steph, because of LeBron, was never, ever, never able to become the face of the. But he would have been, league. right? He would have been. Steph is, Steph right now to me is number two, and in fact maybe he's
1: one a. I mean Durant is the second best player. Maybe Durant is even the best player now. But Steph, first of all, you can't take anything away from his season. He had an MVP caliber season again, and he's a two-time MVP. I think he may be the most universally beloved player in the sport. Is that right? I mean, I I, I can speak to young people because I am the father of one. I was a basketball nut. And my son and his friends love Steph. And they are mixed opinions. You could ask them their opinions on all the other big stars in the NBA. Some of them will love him, and some of them will hate him. But Steph, they all love. Now let me throw the obvious name at you here. I was just scrolling through Instagram, and I came across on House of Highlights video of Giannis Antetokounmpo just walking through the Wisconsin State Fair. <laughs> He's got to have security around him because obviously he would get mobbed to the point that it would be dangerous. But generally, he's just kind of walking through the state fair, waving to people, smiling. That video that he did the morning after he won the championship, where was he at? Chick-fil-A, one of the here's the drive through somewhere, getting chicken nuggets, wherever it is he was. He's got a joy, a lovable quality, all that kind of stuff. He's, he's, got, he's got the game, Lord knows, and he's a champion. Nuno, what do you think if I were to humbly submit that the baton could be passed to Giannis next what would you say
2: I just don't see it because if the way he plays was great during the finals and they in the playoffs but like is that something that's going to gravitate people for 82 games mm. um you're and, saying what you're saying is you need a more beautiful game. Correct. You, you, need, you need in this day and age you need sort of the grace as opposed to the the brute strength. Correct. And like, except for this guy, if he actually did any winning, except for Zion Williamson, because he includes all of that. Oh. I think Zion, if they actually won, is hands down the right and the only answer to this question. But he's in New Orleans. He's going on his third coach, and they don't do. They're not doing much winning.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Zion is a good one, and I am ashamed. Nuno, you have shamed me that I hadn't thought of him. I wrote down the name Donovan Mitchell, and I didn't write down the name Zion. That is a huge mistake. And you know what people will say? I'll say it for you, Nuno, because you would be accused of being hopelessly biased. But Zion needs to find a way to get to New York. If Zion Williamson was a Nick, and he did anything, I mean, if, if he won, if he got into the second round of the playoffs, he'd become the biggest star in the sport, yes or no?
2: Uh, without a doubt.
1: No, I agree with that. I agree with that. I actually agree with that. And, and look, I don't want to hear it from New Orleans. I love your city. I love the fans. And I love the food. But that organization can't get out of its own way. They can't do it. I mean, you had all this time with Anthony Davis. It's, it's now look at it it's a, Nuno's point. Zion's been there 15 minutes. They fi- fired two coaches. I mean, they can't get out of their own way. Lonzo's there. Now he's gone. They seem to have a nice chemistry. He's gone. It would be easy to understand why a guy like Zion might be questioning, especially for someone whose career uh, shelf life might be somewhat limited. Maybe he's not a guy who's going to play 16 years. Maybe he's a guy who's going to get 10 or 11 based on his stature, a physical stature. Um, Maybe the time is not that far off that he might be having those kind of thoughts. It's a good one. I like that, and I like the question. Dan Deerdorf joins me live next after this word from DoorDash. DoorDash here with Summer of Dash Pass. Right now, Dash Pass members are taking $10 off groceries, alcohol, pet food, and more. Need a nightcap? $10 off. Got a cough? Get relief delivered for less. Want to surprise your crush? Send a gift and save. Try Dash Pass for free and get special savings, exclusive menu items, and $0 delivery fees year-round. Get more from your neighborhood now with Dash Pass in the DoorDash app, and stay cool out there. Terms and conditions apply. Dan Deerdorf, next on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more –
0: Greenie, the podcast.
1: Greenie, and as always, I'm live from the Seaport District to Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. And I have had such a good time this week. As and our our producer, uh, one of our guest producers here, Josh Drew, does a great job booking the guests for us. We just decided we would put on as many great football legends as we could, and just listen to them tell great stories. And so we've had great fun with Steve Young earlier this week, and we had Chris Collinsworth earlier today, and others. And it is my delight now to welcome back to this program for the first time in far too long, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, the great Dan Dierdorf, is back with us on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Dan Deerdorf.
0: Well, Greeny, guess what? Your quality radio is about to come to a screeching halt.
1: <laughs> That's, that is so far from true. That, and and, and yeah. let, me, let me point this out, that people now, most people listening to this show, will remember you as a broadcaster and may not remember you as a player. But as I was just sitting here looking through some of the numbers, I want everyone to know that Dan Deerdorf did not allow a sack during the entire 1976 or 1977 seasons. Uh, he was first-team All-Pro basically every year in the 70s. Your team led the league in fewest sacks allowed three consecutive years. But you personally did not allow a sack between the 1975 playoffs and the start of the 1978 season. That is the caliber of guests that we are talking about here. Dan Deardor.
0: Well, thank you, Michael. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah. It's, well, you're right. I mean, I'm 72 years old and, and to multiple generations, uh, I'm sure they remember me either from Monday night football or from uh, the next 15 years at, at CBS. And uh, you know, that's fine with me. I was uh, I was thrilled to have two careers and to have success at both of them. So how many people get to do that?
1: Well, very few. And, and, you know, you're also of a generation, if I could just sidetrack this conversation for a moment, where you really paid your dues. I remember having this conversation with Ahmad Rashad, who did a similar thing. But to be clear, you didn't just stop playing football and go directly into Monday, the Monday Night Football booth. Because I, I, I just looked this up here. After your retirement in 1984, Dan Deardorff was the afternoon talk show host on KMO, KMOX Radio in St. Louis, worked as a color analyst on radio broadcast of Missouri Tigers football, St. Louis Cardinals football, and later added St. Louis Blues hockey broadcasts to his repertoire. Give me a quick story about, about Dan Deerdorf doing the St. Louis Blues.
0: Well, now, we had uh, one of the world's great, hockey announcers in St. Louis at the time, Dan Kelly. Mm -hmm. And Dan Kelly was uh, to St. Louis hockey, uh, the equivalent of Vince Scully. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, when you are working with Dan Kelly, uh, my job was to talk about Saturday night was calendar night. Uh, (laughs) Tuesday was buck night. Uh, uh, You know, on Thursday, if you got there early, you got a bobblehead. That's, (laughs) that's, that's, that's what I did. And, Every now and when I first started, uh, every now and then, I would talk to where the puck was uh, dropped, and I'd say, and the St. Louis Blues win the face-off, and here's the voice of the Blues, Dan Kelly. And uh, uh, after a couple times, uh, one time we went to a commercial break, and Dan Kelly leans over to me and goes, hey, big boy. You have no idea who won the face-off. <laughs> you have no clue. So just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he was right. I thought, I thought the goal of a face-off was to kick the puck forward.
1: <laughs> like a jump ball. Uh, that's awesome. Uh,
0: you know, hey, color me stupid.
1: Uh, Dan Dierdorf with us here. All right, let, let's talk a little football here. My first question is probably going to make you mad because you're one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. But hey, I, I, Mike, before you go
0: any farther, yes. can I just say one thing? Sure. You touched on the KMOX radio yeah. part of it, sure. and and you're right. That's where I learned to be a broadcaster. I learned to be a broadcaster on radio. radio. Uh, so did Chris Collinsworth, and so did a lot of us. It's where we really cut our teeth. But not many people were as lucky as I was because I was sitting uh, in the sports office at KMOX, and my boss was our sports director. Jack Buck (laughs) and sitting in a chair next to me was this young guy from Syracuse that we hired named Bob Costas Mm. and, and Mike Shannon and Jay Randolph and on and on and on this entire uh, cast of unbelievable sportscasters. But really when I stopped to think about the fact that, you know, Bob and I are sitting there uh, listening to Jack uh, uh, talk about this, that, and the other, I was so fortunate.
1: So Bob now now you have sidetracked me but in a very good way. So so Bob and, and I've gotten to know him over the years but I have I I frequently tell the story that when he would come on TV when my kids were little they would say dad look there's your idol. Costas has always been my idol in the business and one time one someone called me a poor man's Bob Costas and I said it was the greatest compliment that I'd ever been paid. Um, give me a story on that, because G- he, he legendarily, like amongst all of us broadcasters, like he's the one who left early. He he, he left college early. He left Syracuse um, before yep. he graduated because he was so good. They actually hired him right out of school before he even got to graduation. Give me a story about a young Bob Costas.
0: Well, well first of all, that was his nickname, young Bobby Costas. <laughs> and he came to St. Louis at Camo X because our uh, general manager, who was a legend in the radio business, Robert Hyland, he needed to hire an announcer for our ABA franchise, which was the Spirit of St. Louis, uh, who, who, by the way, at one time had a roster of Marvin Barnes, Moses Malone, and and in 1974, they began playing basketball, and Bob Hyland listened to like 200 tapes of aspiring young sportscasters that that sent in their demos, and out of that he picked Bob Costas, hmm. and and Bob moved to St. Louis to become the play-by-play voice of the spirit of St. Louis, and uh, it, it's really hilarious. Bob tells this great story. One day he he was Bob is I don't know how if you know Bob well enough to know that Bob has been known to be late periodically, mm-hmm. and. Uh, sometimes he has trouble telling time and uh, he missed the first half of a game uh, because he chose to take a later flight. It got fogged in. He was sure that he was going to be fired when he got back to St. Louis and he's sitting in the locker room and Marvin Barnes comes up and sits next to him. He goes, Bobby, what's wrong, Bobby? You look so upset. And Bob goes, I know I'm going to be fired when I get back to St. Louis. And Marvin Barnes goes, Marvin Barnes goes, "Oh, Bobby, that's okay. you know, I've got six Rolls Royces, and I've been looking for a little guy like you to drive him <laughs> around. Would you do that?
1: <laughs> a little guy
0: <laughs> Bob uh, uh, Jack Buck walked into sports office one day and said, "Hey, Dan, why don't you sit him on on your knee and ask him what he wants for Christmas?" <laughs>
1: He is, he is, he's not a huge man. I, I will, I will grant that you are a, I was actually picturing he, in my head, you sitting next to Bob Costas all those years ago.
0: And he's one of my oldest friends. I can't begin to tell you, we talk, uh, uh, he's just the best yeah. i i And you talk about, I, I, I've had the privilege of working with some guys with great intellect, the guys that, uh, th- their brain just works at a different level. And two of them that uh, are just on the same level, uh, Bob Costas and Al Michaels, two guys that just are just steel traps. And uh, you could see it from an early age. Bob was destined to be Bob. Uh, he, he's, He's deserved everything he's achieved and even more.
1: Yeah, and and of course you worked with Al all those years, legendarily on Monday Night Football, Greeny and the great Dan Dierdorf. And I'm putting away all the football questions. Let, let's just let's just have a little more fun here. So let me ask you this: in your career, I, I just mentioned this, like Jack Youngblood got a sack against you in a playoff game in 1975. Then you didn't give up a sack in '76 or '77. So in your career, who was the toughest guy to block? Who was the the, the most difficult assignment? When you were protecting Jim Hart, when you were an offensive lineman, all those years in the NFL, who was the guy that gave you the hardest time?
0: Well, I'll break that into two parts. First of all is, excuse me, when you break in as a rookie, the first game I ever started my rookie year and I started was, of course, wouldn't you know, we'd open up against the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And and I started my career at guard. And so I, I had to line up across from and play the whole game across from Bob Lilly, mm. the uh, the Hall of Famer. That, and, and I tell people, they go, how'd you do? And I said, this is no joke. I intend, I tried to hold him <laughs> on every play, and I wasn't even good enough to hold him. I wasn't even good enough to get a penalty because I, I, I couldn't get him close enough to tackle him. So it, it, at the beginning of my career, I, I was so fortunate that, I played against uh, Butkus, and I played against Willie Lanier and Buck Buchanan and and the, the, the Deacon Jones. And the, the, the real, I always thought the men on whose shoulders the NFL was built, mm-hmm. the guys who played in the 60s. But then in the prime of my career, um, you're right, Jack Youngblood was probably, I was a mauler. I wanted to, uh, I was bigger than most of the guys. I wanted somebody to try to run over me and Jack wanted no part of that. And, uh, uh, Jack was, uh, uh, you know, probably 30 pounds lighter than I was at, he wanted to run around me. And we were teammates from the old college all-star game. As you well know, back in Chicago, they'd play this game between college seniors and an NFL team. Mm-hmm. And Jack and I became great friends. We're the same age. And, uh, uh, yes, he was the one guy I didn't. I didn't want to play.
1: I need to hear about Butkus, though. I mean, Butkus is one of those <laughs> mythical figures. Like, like to your point about about the era in which football sort of became what it is now, and those teams never really won much with him. But but that doesn't change the oh. fact that Butkus is like a mythical figure.
0: Well, first of all, in in an era where uh, all players were were smaller in comparison to. To what you see on the field today uh for a you know, you'd take like Leroy Jordan the middle linebacker of the Dallas Cowboys mm-hmm. you know Leroy Jordan weighed about 210 or 215 uh and he could just run sideline to sideline well Butkus weighed 245 I mean Butkus was a big man and he you know before his knees failed him he he could really run and I I'd cover a lot of ground but he you know, he just wasn't a really nice guy on the, on the field. And, and he would say things, uh, I can't repeat it on the air, but he said something to me one time, uh, and it really hurt my feelings.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do you do yeah. when, when Butkus hurts your feelings on the field?
0: You don't say a damn thing.
1: <laughs> you didn't say a word to Butkus.
0: That's uh but you know, that, you know, you, there was, uh, I, you know, I, I remember one time we we're playing the Kansas city chiefs and I'm down in my stance. I'm, I'm, I'm playing guard. This is my rookie year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And lined up across from me is Buck Buchanan. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I look over at the other defensive tackle and it's curly cult. And between the, these two guys, I see the legs of their middle linebacker, Willie Lanier mm-hmm. and. And then I glance to my right to my outside and there are the legs of, of their outside linebacker Bobby Bell and 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 then creeping up into the hole is is Johnny Robinson their safety now every one of the guys I just mentioned is a pro football Hall of famer mm-hmm. who were all on the field at the same time for Hank Stram's chiefs and uh, you know I, I look back on that uh, a no surprise we weren't able to run the ball but just <laughs> You know, to be out there and to be a part of that type of legacy, that type of history. Uh i I'll, I was forever grateful for being a part of that.
1: Yeah, that that team won Super Bowl four. They made two the first Super Bowl game, obviously, and lost to Green Bay and then came back a few years later and won Super Bowl four against Minnesota, and that was the that's what we know when I was the merger. That that really after the Jet game the year before oh, changed the entire absolutely. sport, Dan. Yeah.
0: And, absolutely. And, yeah. And Stram loved these big giant guys, which, of course, I—I I don't know why he had to get on a ladder to talk to him. But he, they were—they were, they were tall. They were about the tallest team in the. End. It was—they uh, had some—they
1: had some talent, no question. Greeny and the great Dan Deardorff, and then—and then one last one for you here. You did Monday Night Football for, I think, a dozen years. When you yeah. look back on that now, is there a most memorable game? Is, is there one game or any part of your broadcasting career, I guess, CBS or any place that you were, is there a game that you broadcast that stands out more than any other?
0: Well, I, there were a couple on Monday nights that you knew you were part of history. Um, I think it was 1995 where we did Kansas City uh, playing Denver, and we knew it was the last time that we were going to see uh, John Elway, on the field uh, against Joe Montana. Uh-huh. And it, it was a, a fantastic game. Came down to the last play of the game, and you knew you were watching history. Um, I got a chance to be in the booth when uh, Jerry Rice uh, uh, set a couple of receiving records. Um, we were in Seattle when uh, uh, Brian Bosworth uh, made the uh, ill-fated attempted tackle. <laughs> on Bo Jackson and got splattered in, in, at the goal line. That was the game where Bo Jackson ran up the tunnel out of the stadium. Uh, we did a Monday night game in Chicago where a guy, I, I don't know if you remember this, but he there was an extra point and he jumped out of the stands yeah. in the tunnel in an attempt to, and just disappeared from our view. <laughs> it, a lot of crazy, things. of course, we did a couple Jets games on Monday night where they were uh, starting fires in the upper deck of the Meadowlands. Uh, We saw some things on Monday night, and uh, I I never ever once uh, took it for granted that standing next to the great Frank Gifford and and getting the chance to work with Al Michaels, that I wasn't uh, standing there with television history. Uh, uh, Frank Gifford was the most delightful man I ever knew in my life and and the three of us had, I, I just can't tell you what an enjoyable time that was in my life.
1: Oh, Dan, it is so good to hear your voice. I'm so glad that we're back with football season here. And I hope that as this thing kicks off, we can do it somewhat regularly. The the best of the family. Thank you so much for this. And I hope I'll see you soon.
0: Uh, thanks, Greeny. And by the way, I got to say it. Say hi to all those sidekicks you work with.
1: <laughs> okay, that's an inside joke. Uh, Dominique is yep. going to love it. You're the best. Thank you, Dan. A very, all right, Greeny. See you. Bye bye. Quick explanation. So, so Dan, in, in in offering a compliment of the of the TV show, get up. Just sort of choosing a word referred to all the analysts who appear with me as sidekicks. And that turned into sort of a battle back and forth with him and Dominique, but it's all in good fun. Hey, if you haven't already heard, I'm here to tell you the new Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G is life-changing. It's ultra-compact. It makes a big statement with bold colors and hands-free videos. So get your new Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G today at samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with carrier. What a fun day this was. Thanks for coming along for the ride. See you tomorrow. ESPN Radio.